does the Bible teach about Jesus' resurrection and its benefits? We have a summary of that in the Heidelberg Catechism, page 879. Page 879 in the back of your songbooks. talked about Christ's suffering, his crucifixion, death, burial, descent into Sheol or hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. What does that mean? How does that benefit us? How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. And then let's turn to Isaiah 53, page 729. In your pew Bibles, page 729. Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, grew up before him, before the Lord, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes transgression for the intercessors. If you could just leave your Bibles open at 
Isaiah 53. We want to look at verses 10 through 12 carefully this afternoon. Verses 10 through 12 of Isaiah 53. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. Isaiah 53 is about Messiah's suffering, intense suffering, rejected by men, but especially rejected by his God, who turned his face away. It is the will of the Lord, verse 10, to crush him. The will of the Lord to crush him, to crush his son. What is often forgotten, however, is that Isaiah 53 also is about Jesus' resurrection. In verses 10 through 12, though the word resurrection isn't used, the truth and the reality of it are powerfully present. We're going to see the resurrection in Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12 this afternoon with God's help. Because such a virtuous death as Jesus' death, such a virtuous death, a death full of virtue, full of goodness, full of righteousness, cannot fail to produce all kinds of good fruit. Cannot fail to be effective, powerful, and productive. Think of it this way. In his suffering and death, Jesus, by his obedience, accomplished for us a well full of benefits of salvation. The resurrection is the tap that turns on those benefits and out they come. It's the tap through which those benefits flow out to us. And if the tap stays closed, if he stays dead, there's nothing to be gained from his death. Without Jesus' resurrection, his death is empty and useless. But his resurrection causes the benefits of his death to come alive and overflow to our lives. That's what we want to see this afternoon. Jesus' successful, productive death flows out to us in his resurrection. Jesus' successful, productive death. First, the resurrection means he has defeated death. Secondly, it means that his death was completely righteous, accomplished perfect righteousness. It was a righteous death. And thirdly, it's a death that's full of life for his people. Jesus' successful, productive death proved in his resurrection It's a resurrection that means that Jesus defeated death. We say in the catechism, by his resurrection, he has overcome death. On the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. That means he destroyed death. He killed it. He killed death. But the wages of sin is death. So if he killed death, he must have killed sin in order to kill death. If you pay the wage in full, can you stay dead? If Jesus paid the wages of sin in full, can he stay dead? No. The Bible not only says that Jesus did rise, he must rise. He couldn't not rise because of what his death was, the payment of sin. So if sin yields death, then what does the end of sin yield? Life. Death can't stay dead. If sin is paid for, that's the good news of the resurrection. Listen to Acts 2. Acts 2. 
Peter says on the day of Pentecost to the people of Israel. You took him and nailed him to a cross. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Listen, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It was not possible for death to hold its grip on Jesus, to hold on to Jesus. Clement Fortunatus, a bishop in the early church, wrote this about the power of Christ's sin-paying, sin-destroying death. Praise the Savior now and ever. Praise him all beneath the skies. Prostrate, lying, suffering, dying on the cross of sacrifice. Victory gaining, life obtaining. Now in glory he doth rise. You might think it would say life obtaining, victory gaining. But it puts it the other way around. He paid for our sin and he gained the victory and therefore he obtained life. Victory gaining, life obtaining. Now in glory he doth rise. Now think of what this means for you and me. If his death paid for our sin, that means our sin is gone and our death is defeated too. And when we die, we can't stay dead either. As we saw last week, Christ has transformed our death. It's still an enemy, but it's no longer a punishment. It's a doorway to eternal life. It's a stepping stone to glory. Death cannot keep you in its grip, dear believer. Because the wages of death or sin, death, has been paid for by Jesus. The grave can't hang on to you. You too will rise. Jesus said that to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. You die as a believer, you don't die. When you die, you don't die, Jesus is saying. You keep on living, your soul goes to heaven. And one day your body will rise too. And then he added, he who believes in me, lives and believes in me, will never die. So the whole reason for Jesus' resurrection from the dead was the kind of death he died. It was the result of his powerful, virtuous death. It was the fruit of his death. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. You have your Bibles open? Look there a moment. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Look how verse 10 goes. It's it's lovely. Do you see the resurrection in it? The word isn't used, but the reality is there. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, the Father, put him to grief, put Jesus to grief. When his soul, when Jesus' soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Do you see those three things? He shall see his offspring prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He shall see his offspring. He he gives his soul to death and yet he's going to see his offspring. How's that possible? Because on the other side of death, he's going to gather with his children. He's going to rise. And he's going to see them. And he's going to walk with them and talk with them. And even now, Jesus, on the other side of the resurrection, sees his offspring every day of the week as we go about and do our task. 
He's looking upon us with great delight. You're my child. And when they gather, when we gather around the world, he sees his offspring and he rejoices in the praises of his people. It's a beautiful thing to think of Jesus seeing his offspring on the other side of giving up his soul unto death. One commentary writes, his death, he will see his offspring, his death will produce a large family of descendants stretching far and wide, the people redeemed from him, the church of the redeemed, out of Israel and all nations. That's why when you go from Isaiah 53, resurrection, seeing his offspring, you jump into 54 and God says to Israel, okay, your tent, Israel, is getting too small because Jesus has descendants coming into Jerusalem from all over the nation. You better lengthen the cords of your tent and strengthen the stakes. Put them in deeper because you got people from far and wide coming into the church. Jesus defeated death. Because his death was a payment for sin, which causes death. He defeated death and therefore he saw his offspring and he will prolong his days. Because of the sin offering he made, he'll come to life again and he'll live forever and ever. He'll make an end to death. Listen to Revelation 1 verse 18 where Jesus says, fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died And behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. Death can never touch him again. Listen to Romans 6. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so... The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord is to gather a people unto himself from every language, tribe, people, and nation. And the Lord, Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, causes that will of the Lord to prosper by his purchase, by his powerful purchase of sinners. In the blood of the cross. His successful, fruitful, powerful death for sin that destroyed death. So death has no longer has any power. It can no longer hold on to its prisoners. It can no longer keep you down. Where sin is gone, death is gone. And I urge you, congregation, to take refuge in the death of Jesus Christ. What a place for you in life and in death. Take refuge in his death because that's the death that defeats death. And in all life's troubles, in all your sicknesses, and in your death itself, your troubles are completely defeated. They're forever defeated in Jesus Christ. Victory is yours. The tap of all the benefits he won for you in his death on the cross has been turned on and flows over your life. Take refuge in that. In all life's problems, sicknesses, and in your dying and death, 
realize that Jesus is your life. You're his offspring. And your life shall be prolonged. You shall live forever. Well, let's see secondly. The resurrection also means that Jesus' death was a righteous death. If his death was a complete payment for sin, if his death was a complete payment of the debt of righteousness that we owe to God, and it was, then resurrection means that he has been successful in his death. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus did not rise, that means the payment for our sin didn't work. It wasn't successful. And then you're still in your sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, it's not, if it's not a fact that Christ literally rose from the grave, then you're still guilty before God. Your punishment has not been carried. Your sins have not been dealt with. You are still in your sins. It matters that much. Without the resurrection, you have no standing at all. But his resurrection proves that he paid the debt of righteousness. He accomplished perfect righteousness in his life and in his death so that he is all paid up with God. Will you say he is nothing to pay? Yes. Because he took our debt upon himself. He has to pay God. He owes God in the covenant of works made with Christ. He owes God eternal punishment of body and soul. He owes him the whole debt of righteousness that we owe to God from all the good we did not do and the evil that we did do. And if Jesus did not pay that in full, death would still be hanging on to him. But when he rose, the father was giving his approval. The father was saying, payment received. It's like when you put your credit card in, right? And the machine says, payment approved or payment received. It went through. While in his resurrection, the father is saying, your payment has been received. Perfect payment. There was no flaw. In all that the Lord Jesus Christ did for our salvation. Listen to 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed from your sinful ways with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The payment went through and up from the grave he arose. And that means perfect righteousness has been accomplished The debt has been paid. And now in his resurrection, he shares that payment with you. I paid it all. 
When I was done paying, the father raised me up. And now the tap is turned on and I can share that righteousness with you. You know, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Do you think they ever saw a bull or a goat or a lamb after it had been slaughtered as a sin offering? Do you think they ever saw any one of them rise from the dead? Never. Because they could never pay the debt of righteousness. They could never pay the price of sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, says the book of Hebrews. But when this lamb offered himself on the cross and died, he didn't stay dead. He rose because he accomplished perfect righteousness for his people and payment with his blood. So go back to Isaiah 53 and look at verse 11. That's what it teaches. Out of the anguish of his soul, verse 11, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, here, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Put that together. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall accomplish a righteousness that he then transfers to his people so that they're justified, they're accounted righteous in the sight of God, and he shall see that and be satisfied. There's the language of see again, resurrection. Because he bore their iniquities. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord Jesus Christ accomplished a complete righteousness of all that we owe God in his life, in his death, his doing and his dying. And in his resurrection, it's the Father saying it is finished. The payment is finished. And now that payment is set to go and be transferred to our accounts. So that we the unrighteous through faith in Christ, can be accounted righteous, declared righteous by God through Jesus Christ's righteousness, not by our own. So the resurrection proves to you, proves to me, that he paid it all. And it's there for you to take. The righteousness of Jesus Christ accomplished for you is there for you to take. What should you do? Take your debt of righteousness to God. Plead with him to cover your unrighteousness with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and give you Jesus' perfect righteousness. Plead with him. The resurrection proves that it was good. The payment went through. It did not fail. It was successful. His death was successful and productive and fruitful. Proof positive. Man's work faileth. Christ availeth. He is all our righteousness. He, our Savior, has forever set us free from dire distress. Through his merit we inherit light and peace and happiness. 
We live in a world where there is so much unrighteousness and not just unrighteousness but the burden of unrighteousness. People are so heavy under a load of sin and they don't know where to go with it. They're being crushed by it and turning to all kinds of substitutes for relief which are not working for them and some finally trying to take their own lives to find that relief that they need. Brothers and sisters, the perfect relief has been found, has been sent to you, has accomplished what you need, taken the burden on himself so you could throw the burden off yourself and put it on him. And I call you to do that. Throw the burden of sin and guilt, the debt of righteousness you owe to God. Throw that onto Christ. And God, for Christ's sake, will forgive all your sins and set you free. Free indeed. Free forever. And there's a further benefit we see thirdly to life-giving death. Jesus' death destroys death. It accomplishes righteousness and it gives us eternal life for soul and body. That's what his resurrection means. He's alive now to share all the gifts that he won for us by his death. A dead Christ can't give you gifts. A risen Christ can and does. A dead Christ can't give life to his people. But a living Savior can and does. Look at verse 12. When you see the word portion, think of the word life. Eternal life. As in the Lord is my portion and my cup. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, this is what it's saying. Because he was numbered with the transgressors and he poured his life for many, now he's he's alive. He's the victor. He won the battle. He's got all these spoils, all this plunder that he got from his victory. And he's out to share that with you, with his people all over the globe, all the people for whom he died. That's really what the point is. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death with those who trust in him. And belong to the Lord. Jesus is compared here really to a warrior in his battle against sin. It's kind of like this. His battle against sin, he is to go to war and face the powers of hell. He has to face eternal judgment, the infinite wrath of God, in order to get the treasure of life. He is to face off and conquer all that. 
In order to get the treasure of life, he has to face all that. And the only way then that he can get the treasure of life is by dying. So think of it this way. In his death, he grabs onto the treasure of eternal life for his people and dies. And then he rises to share that treasure of life, the portion of eternal life. Now, brothers and sisters, through faith in Jesus Christ, you get a double gift of life. Through the power of the risen Christ, you get a double gift of life. You get a double resurrection, what the Bible calls the first resurrection, and you get a second resurrection. Let me explain both of those to you. What's the first resurrection? Regeneration. The soul becomes alive. The mind, the heart, the emotions, the inner life becomes alive to God. In our sin, we're dead to God and dead to good and dead to right. We want sin. But here's what happens there's a resurrection. The Holy Spirit takes the risen Christ through the preaching of the gospel, plants the risen Christ deep into your soul and mind and emotions and makes you alive with Christ. So that Colossians 3, we're risen with Christ. We're made alive with him, Romans 6. We're raised with him unto newness of life. That's the first gift of life that he gives you. Have you undergone this resurrection? Do you have a new heart? Do you have a new mind? Do you have new desires? Oh, I know that the new mind and the new heart and new desires are always struggling against sin, but are you new? Do you confess you need to be born again? God will hear you say that. He'll answer that prayer. I need to be born again. Give me your Holy Spirit. I need to undergo a first resurrection. That's his gift. The risen Christ entering your soul and then going with you all through life to live for the Lord. But there's another resurrection coming on the last day. The second resurrection, Revelation 20. It's the second resurrection described also in the catechism. Third, his resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. One day, when the risen Christ returns on the clouds of heaven, he will issue a loud command. You know the story already, but it's so glorious to keep repeating this great story. And his command will find you in your dust in the tomb, the leftovers of your rotted corpse. And he'll say, come forth. And in that word, the power of the risen Christ, the resurrection will enter your tomb and raise you up a new and glorious body. So the body that was sown in weakness is raised in power. The body that was sown in dishonor is raised in glory. The body sown in weakness is raised in power. The body sown in natural body is raised a spiritual body. What a day that will be. And if you're still alive when the Lord returns, his resurrection will grab you too. 
and transfigure you so that your body also becomes glorious. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to become like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Sin's bond severed, we're delivered. Christ has bruised the serpent's head. Death no longer is the stronger. Hell itself is captive led. Christ has risen from death's prison or the tomb. He light has shed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ who died and in his perfect death accomplished a full salvation for us. Thank you for raising him from the grave to share that full salvation with his people so that he can see his offspring and be satisfied and rejoice. Lord, we pray that you will continue to work out those benefits in our lives. Give us our first resurrection. By faith, give us righteousness. And then on the day you return, give us our second resurrection. Make our bodies glorious. Take away the pains and the sorrows, the frustrations, and give us a body and soul that can dwell with you forever in the glory of the new creation. Amen.